my first question is, does God care about how his people worship? <laughs> Listening to that prayer, you're going to say, yeah, I think he does, right? So does God care about how his people worship? The answer is yes. Yes, he cares. He cares about what is happening in this moment with us, where our hearts are. So then, what does he desire? So if he cares about it, then what is, what is it that God desires? What does he want it to look like? In the Old Testament, God spoke as to what was expected. He was very clear that it, in, in books like Leviticus, how to approach, what offerings to give, what sacrifice to make, when to make these, the incense to burn, etc. And when they weren't followed, we read scripture like this, Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So we see God's not playing games. He says, you're going to come into my presence. I'm holy God. There's a way you enter. Well, since Christ opened the way for all people at the cross, since he's made a way and tore the veil, since he's fulfilled the law, not done away with it, but fulfilled the law in the sacrificial system, what then does worship look like now? So now is it like, yay, we get to just come in and just have a good time, yay. No, God still has requirements. He still has ways he wants us to approach. So I have a couple of thoughts for us to consider this morning about worship. Number one is this. God is the one who initiated worship. God initiated it. It's not from us. It's not out of our heart, not out of our desire. It's God who initiates worship. Worship. Before we come, God is the one who calls us to come. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God calls us, draws us to himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God called us into this fellowship. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, this is from a previous uh, part of our series on the pillars, so this will look familiar. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He calls us into his own presence, and he makes us priests. He's the one who changes our identity. He's the one who is initiating worship. He pursues us. While we were distant from him, running from him, while we were in sin, Christ came for us. He pursued us. He calls us. So we need to remember that, that what happens here today 
didn't start with us. It didn't start with me like, okay, what would be a good, you know, I'm going to do just the pillars and that's going to be a good thing and, and, and we're going to have this song and this. Like it doesn't start there. All of that administration and all of those talents and gifts and all that, we're going to talk about how that's Holy Spirit empowered and driven, all those things that look ordinary, that's, that's of God. He's working in them. It originates with him. The time of prayer, saying, God, what will your people hear? That originates with him and the Spirit speaking and communing. It doesn't start with us. It started with God. So what that means is, is we can't worship God apart from God. Like, we can't actually worship him if he is not present. Apart from him, we can't bring worship. We can't bring right worship we talked about how we are created as worshipers. We will worship something, but to worship God, it must start with God. So if he doesn't invite, if he doesn't initiate, then we don't truly worship. We become like those in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and verse 25. It says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. There are many churches today that slap Jesus on the name of their worship, but they are not worshiping Jesus. They are worshiping something else. They are, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they make it look like worship, but it's not genuine worship if God is not the initiator, the inviter, if he is not central, if his character is not clearly seen, if he is not clearly seen, if it's not following him, then we're not worshiping him. We're doing something other. We could end up like those in Matthew 15, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We can be in a church that says all the right things and does all the right things and it looks really good even. And if God is not the initiator, if he's not central to what we're doing, we're just honoring him with our lips, but our hearts are not there. The spirit is not there. Christ, however, came for us to redeem us, to restore right worship. Look at John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, this is the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Christ comes for us to, and redeems us, and he restores right worship. I, can you go back one slide on that passage, please? Notice here what he says to the woman. He says, you worship what you do not know. The Samaritans are worshiping. They're on their mountain. They're, they're giving sacrifices. They're doing worship. And he says, this is not as it should be, but a time is coming when I am making you worshipers. He's going to give us the Spirit, and we can worship in spirit and in truth. He says we can be brought into worship through Christ. 
When we evaluate the service, how do we decide if it was good or not? Like, you get in your car, you go home, and you're like, hey, what did you think of the service today? You know that's like one of the first questions, right? Everyone asks that. And they're like, well, and then, and then Rob's on the frying pan. You know, it's like, all right, let's see what the pastor did. Let's talk about the music. Let's talk about, you know. And we, we, we dissect it, don't we? What does that look like? I mean, just rewind a couple of weeks or a couple of services past in your mind in those conversations. When we evaluate the service, how do we decide if it was good or not? How do we decide? Well, for many, it's sadly evaluated by maybe the part they played. So maybe they're playing music or they're up here and they're serving or maybe they're giving a prayer or they're testimony or something and they're thinking, man, that went really well today. It was a good service. Like, I didn't stumble over anything. Everything came out well. I could read. You know, it was, it was all nice. Like, oh, it was a really good service. So maybe they evaluated by the part they played. Or, or if their part was noticed as being done well. I, I don't know about uh, the worship people out there that, that give of their talents and, and their service uh, for the body by playing, but sometimes for me, like, it's this weird thing when someone comes up to me as a pastor and they say, Pastor, that was a really good sermon today. I think I broke it, sorry. Uh, they're, like, they give me this compliment. I'm thinking, well, well thanks. Like, I, I want to receive it, but at the same time, it's like, that really wasn't of me. That was of God. Like, I'm glad it blessed you. Like, it's really this awkward thing. And, and I think it's probably the same for our worship people. When people come up and they say, you played really well today. And they're probably thinking, well, it really wasn't about me playing. But we evaluate the service by, Rob had a really good word today. Or, man, the service, the worship team was on. Man, they were rocking it. It was good. I, I was disconnected. Like, sometimes we, we think it's a good service by how well something was done. If we're not leading or we're not doing something, it may be evaluated by the feeling we had. Because Rob gave a good message, and there's a couple of gems in there that I hadn't heard before, and because the worship team was on point today, man, I was just, it did something for me. Like, I was just, yeah, I feel really good. It was a good, that was a good sermon. That was a good service. Like, yeah, God was in that place. Hello, God could have been nowhere near that place. That's the point. How do we evaluate it? How do we evaluate the service? The service is not meant for us or for our glory. What should be exciting to us when you're coming here, what should be exciting, what should be in your mind, is that God called us to come and be in his presence together. He says, hey, Bridge, come together and be in my presence, that he's calling us here, that we are able to experience fellowship with him and his people, that we were beckoned to, to hear him speak to us through his word and by the Spirit, who also is ministering to us as we exalt him. Look at Psalm 34, verse 3. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This idea, like, what should excite us is that we're coming into the presence of God together. And he's going to speak, and we're going to hear, and his spirit is going to minister, and he's going to, we, talk, we sing that song, Waymaker. Healing hearts, mending people, transforming them. Are we expecting that? Are we just saying, yeah, that's a truth I read in the Bible. I know God does it. No, like, expecting it. We're coming into his presence, 
And we're saying, God, you are the one. You do this. You do this in this moment now. That's a good service. When you're in the presence of holy God who's speaking and ministering among his people. We exalt him. That's what David says. So when he calls us and beckons us, when he initiates, we exalt him. That means to elevate by praise or to to raise high. So we evaluate a service by asking, was God clearly seen? Was he honored above everything? Was he clearly present? Did we treasure him? If we did those things, that's a good service. That's a good service. Now notice, I just stripped away the whole veneer of all the stuff that our culture says you've got to have to have church. We only need one thing, God, calling us into his presence. That's all we need. So that's why Jesus says you can worship anywhere as long as it's in spirit and truth. If God is calling you to worship Together, his people coming, expectant, his ministry of the Spirit working, you're worshiping. That is what's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul talking about his ministry. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, uh, and when and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. What is he saying? When I got up there and I was speaking and I was teaching, I was showing you what the scriptures say about our Messiah, Christ, who has come to redeem us. When I was proclaiming these things to you, the Spirit was moving and he was burning in your hearts and he was transforming you and your minds were being opened and you were understanding. He was like, I had no power in that. He's like, my ministry was God-centered and it was God doing that work. That's how worship is here. It is God-centered. He initiates, and he is doing the work. Paul's ministry and our worship should be that way, God-exalting. In our weakness, it's done in his power. So number one, the first thing, God initiates, God invites worship. Number two, worship is guided, and it's steeped in the scriptures. This is one of our core values. So we have our pillars. We also have our core values. We are Bible-centered, the authority of the Scriptures. Like, this is part of who we are here at the bridge. So our worship is Bible-centric. Like, I give you guys Bible drill every week. Like, I get Scripture verse, Scripture verse, Scripture verse. What? The Scriptures speak to us. You don't want to hear me speak. You want to hear God speak. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we need Scripture for life. That's what Jesus says in the temptation. Matthew 4, verse 4. He's being tempted by the devil, and the devil's using Scripture against them. And he says this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need 
the revelation of God. This is how we, we live. This is how we know him. This is how we're transformed. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. we got to pay attention. Not just have scripture, but pay attention to it. Apply it. Come back to it. Meditate on it. Sit with it. Pray over it. Pray it out. Like, we need Scripture. It needs to saturate our worship. If we don't, we're sitting ducks. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? Do you know the word? Satan does. He'll use it. He'll twist it. We, our worship needs to be word-saturated, Bible-saturated. We need to hear the revelation of God. If we are not coming back to it and sitting with it and just loving God's revelation, don't think of it as a book. Don't think of it as, oh, i got to memorize the Bible. This is God speaking to you. This is sitting with him. Like, this is in his presence. Too often we think of it like it's an English assignment in high school, right? Like, all right, I want you to memorize Psalm 23, and then you're all going to get up, and you're going to give a presentation, you're going to have to recite it in front of the whole class. Now, here's how you should do your, you know, <laughs> recital, and this is what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to judge it and grade it. And, I'll, and we think, oh, like, it's a task. No, this is sitting with God, and he's speaking to you. He's talking to you. He says, hey, I want, to, I want to tell you something. I want to show you something. The Holy Spirit brings passages alive and says, hey, that thing you're wrestling with this week, let me show you something. This is really awesome. And God speaks to you. And you're like, I've never seen that before. And you put that in your heart and you meditate on it. And then Satan comes and tempts you. You say, no, -uh, I got this right here because God told me. We got to have the word. Scripture governs our worship meetings. It helps us to see God clearly. We, he's the one we worship. If, if we've come to worship God, we need to see God clearly. Otherwise, who are you worshiping? I don't know, this, some, somebody out there. No, we, we're worshiping Yahweh, the Lord who's made the heavens and the earth. Look at Ephesians 5.19. It says this, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. And again, over in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So a couple of things here. We are singing praises to God because God loves music. He wants us to worship him. He invites us to come and worship. We sing praises. We sing these truths back to him. But not only do we sing, we sing scripture. We sing truths that are rooted in the depths of his revelation. So scripture reading Scripture teaching, that, that gets a prominent place usually, but in our music, it also needs saturation of the word. Like in all that we do, when you go to ch churches and they start with the call to worship, 
or they end with a benediction. Many times, it's a, it's a scripture passage. And in some of the churches I've been in, we haven't done it much here at the bridge. It's just not, hasn't been our, our uh, I guess, our rhythm of doing things. And maybe we should change it as I'm thinking about it right now. But we don't do as much scripture reading corporately together. A lot of churches do that. Why? Because they want that word throughout. Scripture reading is, is, is needed. But in the songs that we sing, we're singing Scripture to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We're speaking these truths, these things that are rooted. So our holy God has made us a holy people who proclaim and declare who he is to one another, to the world, but most importantly, as praise back to God himself. When we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, when we're blessing him, we're singing truths about him to him. We're saying, God, you alone are worthy. You are the great redeemer. You are the creator of all things. You are the sovereign who's over all things. You are the one who has made a way for us. Christ, you are our great salvation. You are the hope that we have in you alone. And we we proclaim these things back to him, and we sing these things. So our worship is God-initiated. Our worship is Scripture-saturated. And number three, our worship is spirit-dependent. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the singing part, what happens before it? Be filled with the Spirit and sing together. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Build one another up. Philippians 3.3 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. How do we worship? By the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit. He, he must be there. 1 Corinthians 12 Verses 7 and verse 11, we read this. To each is given the manifestation, that this means the showing of the Spirit for the common good. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So corporate worship is a gift given to us by the Spirit. He's he's the one who empowers it. All that we do is, should be spirit-filled. Our worship is enabled by God, and it is fueled by God. So the Spirit is what enables us to worship. John 14, verses 16 through 20. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. So in John 14, we see the Spirit as the helper. And so often... This gets relegated to just understanding the Bible. 
How does the Spirit help? Well, He helps me understand spiritual truth. Yes, He does. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. But more than that, He helps you worship. He helps you in all your spiritual walk. He empowers it. So He helps us to act, and He helps us to act in worship. John 4, 24 again. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When we worship him, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like, I think sometimes we think too little of the spirit, we don't, or we don't talk enough about him or what he does. He enables worship. He empowers worship. And, and so if you look at Paul's writings, there is this deep understanding that all things, that the that the disciple of Jesus does is dependent on the Spirit. Paul often goes back and says, everything we're doing, all the stuff I'm, I'm doing for, for the Lord, all the ministry and all these things, it's all Spirit-enabled. It's all spiritually powered by the Holy Spirit. Like It's not me. It's not of my strength or my knowledge or my will. It's of God. He always goes back. It's God who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. We need that perspective when we come in here. It's God who's calling us together. It's God who initiated it. It's God who's empowering it. It's God who is working. So if you were to think about this with me just for a second, think on these truths. We are joined to Christ and we become children of God by the spirit of adoption, Romans 8.15. The spirit is the one that unites us, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It's the spirit that gives us life in which we are born again, John 3, verse 5. It's the spirit that gives us access to God, Ephesians 2, 18. It is the spirit that pours out God's love in our hearts, Romans 5, 5. It's the spirit that enables us to cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15 again. It's the Spirit that reminds us of what Jesus said, John 14, 26. It's the Spirit who comforts us, John 14, 15 through 18. It's the Spirit who gives gifts and makes us aware of God's presence, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. The Spirit does all these things, and He's working right now. He's the one moving. He's the one that, that uncovers those things. He's the one that Oh, I had that epiphany. He's the one that brought that. Brings scriptures to mind, and he's the one who comforts and gives you strength to be transformed, to repent and, and turn and be changed. The danger is that we can do church, and I'll put that in quotes, we can do church in our own power. We can do it in our own power and in our own strength and just execute our plans of worship. We can do it without the Spirit. There's a common saying among pastors, uh, and when I was in Maryland, I heard this a lot. Uh, we had several large churches around us, and, and you would hear guys say all the time that uh, the, the Spirit could leave that church, and, and they would never miss a beat, I'm sure. Like they would just go on humming. Like, they have it down. If the Spirit left our church, would we notice would we notice that the Spirit of God was not here? Do we notice that the Spirit of God is here? One testimony I hear a lot from people who come into this place when we gather and worship is that there's something different here. And they're trying to think, is it the 
order of service? Is it how you, maybe it's because you guys are super friendly. Lord bless you. This is one of the friendliest churches apparently in the area because everybody says, I came in and everybody welcomed me and they were so great. So if you haven't experienced that, you need to chew on somebody because that's a great testimony. Anyway, people try to figure it out. You know what it is? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God here among His people, moving, welcoming, calling. We don't want to be a church who goes on and does not have the Spirit actively working. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. We don't want to be that. That is one where he's saying the lampstand will be taken away. We don't want to be a church that has a reputation of being alive, but is spiritually dead. So what this means is that we are dependent on the Spirit. And that dependence should grow in us an expectation that God really wants to reveal His power and His presence in our meetings. That we should expect Him to be moving and working. And, and you know, this can be very normal-looking. It can be very normal-looking. Okay, the one holding the door and greeting and making coffee, that's the gift of hospitality empowered by the Spirit. The one organizing kids' zone and getting all the people checked in and making sure everyone's where they're supposed to be, that's the gift of administration. The one teaching, leading a class or preaching, the gift of teaching. The one praying, the gift of faith is in action. The one counseling, gift of wisdom. When you give an offering and the boxes and that, that's the gift of generosity. And there's more. There's more going on. It's all spirit-empowered. That's the point, that we are dependent on him, and he's moving, and he's working. But should we just expect it to be ordinary? No, because we have a supernatural, extraordinary God. God can move in all kinds of ways, both planned and unexpected ways. The point is, these three things, again, these three truths, God initiates this worship that we come to. He invites us in. Our worship is saturated by the Scripture and governed by His Word. And thirdly, our worship is Spirit-empowered. So these things, they, they should help us keep worship from ever being about us and pursuing God in such a way that we push Him out of the picture. We, we say we're pursuing God, but we're really pursuing our own desire for what worship should be instead of what he says worship should be. So we don't want to push him out of the picture. So here's the question for us as we close. How did you come to worship today? Where was your heart when you came to worship today? Where we come and God is not centered may we repent. When we come and we are not dependent or expectant, may we repent. So let us pray together now that worship will have its right place in our lives and it'll have the right place in our church. It's one of our pillars. It's who we are. And it's God-centered, God-initiated, Scripture-rich, 
spirit-empowered. Will you stand with me and let's pray? Somebody's going to need to grab Klaus. Oh, you got him. There he is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, that you initiate this. You, you call us into your presence. You change us. You transform us. You make us new men and women in, in Christ. The only reason your, our worship is acceptable is because we have been transformed, because you've clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus, that we can offer good, pleasing, acceptable worship. The only reason we, we come and do it is because the Spirit enables, the Spirit empowers God, we just want to think deeply about worship. We want our eyes fixed on you, the one we worship. We want to hear your voice. We want to be transformed by your word. So God, where our hearts and our desires are not in alignment, we just repent. We say, God, forgive us. Forgive us that we've made about us and not about you. We don't want that anymore. We want to come expecting to hear you speak and move and work. We just want to be in your presence. God, we pray that you would help us to be expectant. Where we come with little faith, thinking that that while we see this, your power in the scripture, that we, we don't expect it in our lives. God, may we repent of that. May we see your hand move in the lives of your people. May we see your hand move in worship. Father, we thank you for just this moment where we can just think a little bit about worship today and, and, and hear from your spirit, hear from your word. Again, align us that you would be glorified and magnified in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.